Section six of a history of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume three, by Henry Charles Lee book six chapter eight the trial part one the procedure of the inquisition was directed to procuring conviction rather than justice and in some respects it bore a resemblance to that of the confessional the guilt of the accused was assumed and he was treated as a sinner who was expected to seek salvation by unburdening his conscience and contritely accepting whatever penance might in mercy be imposed on him pressure of all kinds mental and bodily was scientifically brought to bear upon him to induce confession and his refusal to confess in the face of what was considered sufficient evidence was treated as hardened and pertinacious impenitence aggravating his guilt and rendering him worthy of the severest penalty the arrest as we have seen was preceded by careful preliminaries evidence was accumulated in some cases for years and when the accused was thrown into the secret prison he was to a great extent prejudged it was the business of the tribunal while preserving outward forms of justice to bring about either confession or conviction the defence was limited and embarrassed in every way and when the outcome of all this was doubt it was settled in the torture chamber always with the reservation that if suspicion remained that in itself was a crime deserving due punishment in the earliest period there were few formalities and no absolute estilo or recognized method of procedure in the enormous work crowded upon the inexperienced tribunals the main object was the dispatch of business and the success attained in this is seen in the frequent and enormous autos de fe the records of the trials are hasty and imperfect showing that little attention was paid to forms that might cause delay the instructions of fourteen eighty four are crude merely meant to supplement the traditional system of inquisitorial procedure with such regulations as should adapt it to the needs of the situation and to the intentions of ferdinand and isabella they are largely devoted to the questions of confiscation and the fines accruing under the edicts of grace and for the rest they conclude by saying that as all circumstances cannot be foreseen and provided for everything is left to the discretion of the inquisitors who in all that is not especially prescribed must conform themselves to the law and act according to the dictates of their consciences for the service of god 
and the sovereigns. The result of this discretion was that, in the assembly of the inquisitors in 1488, a long debate was required to reach the conclusion that there should be uniformity in the procedure and acts of all the tribunals, the existing diversity having led to many embarrassments. It is therefore scarce worth while to examine in detail the simple and varying forms of this period, except as we shall find them interesting in comparison with later practice. The desired uniformity was gradually attained by the Suprema, which under the independent organization of the Spanish Holy Office developed an elaborate system of procedure set forth in the instructions of 1561 and furnished in 1568 with all necessary formulas in the orden de procesar of pablo garcia subject to such changes as subsequent experience demanded this remained the standard to the last and was followed with more or less exactitude by the tribunals when the accused was thrown into the secret prison his case in the hurry of the earlier period was heard and dispatched with promptitude but subsequently it became the custom for the inquisitors to exercise their discretion as to when they would call him before them and we shall see what exasperating and calculated delays they sometimes interposed he could however ask for an audience at any time and it was an invariable rule to grant such requests for the reason that he might have an impulse to repent and confess which might be transitory such audiences however did not count in the progress of the case when summoned to his first regular audience he was sworn to tell the truth in this and all future hearings and to keep silence as to all that he might see or hear and as to everything connected with his own affair he was made to declare his name his age his birthplace his occupation and the length of time since his arrest after these formalities if the case was one of heresy there came an investigation into his genealogy this which accumulated a mass of information as to all infected families and facilitated greatly researches into limpieza was not a feature of the early trials in those of from fifteen thirty to fifteen forty it was still very informal but by the middle of the century it had become minute extending back to two generations and including all uncles aunts and cousins describing of what race they were whether any of them had been tried by the inquisition and if so how punished the punctilious observance of this takes a somewhat ludicrous aspect in the trial at lima in seventeen sixty three of a mandingo negro slave for superstitious cures he was seventy years of age 
and had been brought from guinea when a child but was interrogated minutely as to parents and grandparents uncles and aunts and was made to declare that they were all of the race and caste of negroes and that none of them had been penanced reconciled or punished by the inquisition the accused was then interrogated as to his baptism confirmation and observance of the rites of religion he was made to sign and cross himself repeat the creed and usual prayers and finally to give an account of his past life after these preliminaries of which the results were carefully recorded he was asked whether he knew presumed or suspected the cause of his arrest with rare exceptions the reply was in the negative and then followed what was known as the first of three munitions there is no trace of this in the earliest trials but toward fourteen ninety an informal munition makes its appearance and the instructions of fourteen ninety eight in requiring the formal accusation to be presented within ten days after arrest prescribed that within that time the necessary admonitions shall be given in fifteen twenty five a letter of manrique shows that these munitions then were three but they still were negligently observed and in trials from that time until fifteen fifty they vary from none to three after the instructions of fifteen sixty one the three munitions became the established rule in cases of heresy while one sufficed in lighter matters the formula was formidable the accused was told that in the holy office no one was arrested without sufficient evidence of his having done or witnessed something contrary to the faith or to the free exercise of the inquisition so that he must believe that he has been brought hither on such information therefore by the reverence due to god and his glorious and blessed mother he was admonished and charged to search his memory and confess the whole truth as to what he feels himself inculpated or knows of other persons without concealment or false witness for in so doing he will discharge his conscience as a catholic christian he will save his soul and his case will be dispatched with all speed and befitting mercy but otherwise justice will be done at intervals a second and a third monition were given the last one ending with a warning that the fiscal desired to present an accusation against him and it would be for his benefit both for the relief of his conscience and for the favorable and speedy dispatch of his case if he would tell the truth before its presentation as thus he could be treated with the mercy which the holy office was wont to show to good confessors otherwise he was warned that the fiscal would be heard and justice would be done 
this brought an exceedingly effectual pressure to bear upon the anxious prisoner especially when the system of delay whether calculated or merely procrastinating left him for months and perhaps years to lie in his cell shut out from the world brooding over his fate and torturing himself with conjectures as to the evidence so confidently assumed to be conclusive against him he was simply admonished to discharge his conscience being kept in the dark as to the crimes of which he was accused and left to search his heart and guess as to what he had done to bring him before the terrible tribunal this had the further utility that in many cases it led to confession of derelictions unknown to the prosecution his impassible judges coldly accepting his revelations and remanding him to his cell with fresh adjurations to search his memory and clear his conscience this cruel device of withholding all knowledge of the charge appears to have been introduced gradually in some cases of about fifteen thirty slight intimations of the nature of the accusation are given but by fifteen forty complete reticence seems to be general there was no formal instruction prescribing it but it became the universal custom based perhaps on the principle that the confession like that to a priest to be trustworthy must be spontaneous showing the change of heart and conversion which alone could render the culprit worthy of mercy yet towards the end of its career under carlos the third and after the restoration the inquisition occasionally granted an audiencia de cargos in which the accused was apprised of the charges against him and in trivial matters this frequently took the shape of summoning him under some pretext that would save his reputation informing him of the alleged offences and after hearing his explanations determining what course to pursue even in so serious a matter as the celebration of mass by a married layman the santiago tribunal in eighteen sixteen after throwing angel sampayo into the secret prison gave him an audiencia de cargos before proceeding further how systematic reticence sometimes succeeded is indicated by the case of angela perez before the toledo tribunal in sixteen eighty after lying in prison for eleven months she asked for an audience may nineteenth to inquire why she had been brought to toledo she was admonished that she had already been told that no one was arrested who had not said or done something contrary to the faith if she wished to discharge her conscience she would be heard and on her asserting that she had nothing to confess she was sent back to her cell with an admonition to think it over and discharge her conscience on june thirteenth she sought another audience 
for the same purpose and with the same result then on june twenty second she was transferred from the carceles medias to the secret prison and on the twenty fifth she obtained another audience in which she entreated the inquisitors in the name of the virgin to bring the charges but all that she obtained was to have her genealogy taken and to receive the first monition to this she replied that she had nothing to confess and wanted her case dispatched as she had been thirteen months in prison the implacable methods of the inquisition triumphed however for the next day she sought an audience in which she confessed that for eight years she had observed the law of moses even more suggestive though in a different way is the mexican case of the priest joseph brunon de vertiz who was one of the dupes of some women pretending to have revelations they were all arrested and he was thrown in prison september nine sixteen forty nine in repeated audiences he vainly sought to learn the charges against him he fairly grovelled at the feet of the inquisitors he made profuse statements of everything concerning himself and his accomplices he submitted himself humbly to the church and was ready to confess whatever was required of him but all to no purpose the strain proved too great for a mind not overly well balanced and it began to give way the first symptoms were complaints of demoniacal possession followed after an incarceration of two years and a half by his writing a paper full of the wild imaginings of a disordered brain in which he denounced the inquisition as a congregation of demons and the jesuits as the most detestable enemies of god then he lay in his cell for more than two years until july twenty three sixteen fifty four he presented another incoherent paper finally he died april thirty sixteen fifty six after more than six and a half years of imprisonment without ever learning of what he was accused his body was thrust into unconsecrated ground and the prosecution was continued against his fame and memory on may eleventh sixteen fifty seven the fiscal at last presented an informal accusation for the purpose of summoning the kindred to defend the case on october twenty two sixteen fifty nine more than ten years after the arrest the formal accusation was presented and as defence was impracticable brunon de vertiz was condemned and his effigy was burnt in the auto de fe of november of the same year when in the third monition the accused was warned that if he did not confess the fiscal would present an accusation there was implied deceit for whether he confessed or not the trial went on in its inevitable course it was usually in the same audience after he had replied to the monition that the fiscal was introduced with the accusation to which he swore and then retired 
this formidable document was framed so as to be as terrifying as possible in cases of heresy it represented that the accused being a christian baptized and confirmed disregarding the fear of the justice of god and of the inquisition with great contempt for religion scandal of the people and condemnation of his own soul had been and was a heretic an impenitent perjured negativo and feigned confessor that he had committed many and most grievous crimes against the divine majesty and the free exercise of the inquisition and was a fater and receiver of heretics then followed the recital of the acts developed by the evidence arranged in articles reduplicated and exaggerated and presented in the most odious light besides this he was a perjurer by refusing to confess in the audiences after swearing to tell the truth from which it was presumable that he was guilty of other and greater crimes of which he was now accused generally and would be specifically in due time wherefore the fiscal prayed that the accused should be found guilty of the crimes recited condemning him to confiscation and relaxing his person to the secular arm and declaring him to have incurred all the other penalties and disabilities provided by papal letters instructions of the holy office and pragmaticas of the kingdoms executing them with all rigor so as to serve as a punishment for him and an example to others after this followed the terrible clause known as diotrosi demanding that he be tortured as long and as often as might be necessary to force him to confess the whole truth one thoroughly unjustifiable feature of the accusation was that if there was evidence of other misdoings of the accused wholly outside of the jurisdiction of the inquisition they were inserted because as the instructions of fifteen sixty one remark they serve as an aggravation of his heresies and show his unchristian life whence may be derived indications as to matters of faith as soon as the accusation was read it was gone over again article by article and the accused while still confused by its menaces taken at advantage wholly unprepared and without assistance of any kind was required to answer each on the spot his replies or explanations being taken down by the secretary as part of the record of the case after this he was told to choose an advocate to aid in his defense end of section six recording by shena sayre fresno california